Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's September 25th, and this is episode 261. You are invited to join me and my guest, Ali Hofkosik, host and creator of the SSR podcast, to talk about the awesome impact that books and reading have on all of us as we are growing up and beginning to understand the world. I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you find conversation, friendship, and community. Whether you found us through Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, maybe a friend told you about us, or maybe you heard about us from our other show, Awesome Today, it is truly awesome that you are here. Again, this is episode 261, and today I am visiting with Ali Hofkosik. And you guys, if you like nostalgia, through the lens of your favorite books from your childhood and teenage years, then you are going to love this episode. Allie, welcome to Sorta Awesome. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Well, I'm so excited that you're here because we are going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, definitely books and reading. And especially today, we are digging into one of my favorite genres of books and reading, and that is young adult or YA literature. But before we get to that, Allie, I was wondering if you could tell us as we're listening just a little bit about who you are, your life, and what led you to start the SSR podcast. I would love that. So as you mentioned, my name is Allie Hofkosik. I live and work in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm a recent transplant from New York City. Like many New Yorkers, I sort of fled in the middle of coronavirus, but the plan was to move here. I'm from the Philadelphia area, and I actually just went back and started my master's in fine arts in creative writing at Temple University. So the plan was always to be local again, and we just kind of moved up our move date. In addition to being a grad student, I'm a full-time freelance writer and editor and content manager. So I spend my days writing and editing and managing content for all kinds of websites. Um, magazines, brands. So I do a little bit of everything, have my hands in a lot of projects. And then my passion project is the SSR podcast, which is what brings me here to chat with you today. And I couldn't be more excited. I started the SSR podcast about a year after I left my full-time job in book publishing to write full-time. I missed being around book people. And I really just kind of wanted a project that was all my own. And as I'm sure you can understand, there's nothing like a podcast to really give you the chance to dig into something 
And Mm -hmm. that's how it all began. And I really wanted to take the opportunity to talk with people who love books the way that I do, to connect those books to nostalgia and kind of the way that we view the world as adults. The idea is every week I bring on a guest and we chat about a book that we would have read when we were middle schoolers or high schoolers and kind of decide how it holds up to the way that we view the world now and kind of think about maybe how that book would have impacted us when we were kids. I don't have any human children of my own right now. I have a dog child. So I'm sort of speculating based on my own experience, but it's still a lot of fun. And I've learned a lot along the way. I love that. That is so great. And I especially love the title that you chose, because when I hear SSR, and you talked about this on your podcast, I think of sustained silent reading from my elementary years, and maybe even into middle school years. I'm trying to remember. It's been a few decades since that was my reality. But I remember (laughs) sustained silent reading being the, you know, just like the oasis in the day. I, of course, as a kid, loved, loved, loved reading. So anytime it was time for SSR, it was like my little escape moment during the day where I could pull out of my wooden elementary school desk, pull that novel out that I was working my way through and just escape the classroom around me and go into Bookland. I know that the SSR podcast has a sort of double entendre, double meaning, because I know you were kind of channeling that <laughs> idea of sustained silent reading when you named the podcast. It also has an alternate title, <laughs> an alternate inspiration, right? Yes, adult only. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So the other interpretation being the stuff she read or, you know, like the full adult version of the stuff <laughs> in that title. Yeah, go so, ahead and listen. You can confirm if your suspicion is correct, but you can probably <laughs> guess the secret subtitle. It's an adult focused show. I know some listeners listen with their older kids and it kind of opens up conversations about books that they might be reading in school, but it is intended for older audiences. We don't get crazy, but We do use a little bit of adult language. So that's a good PSA to your (laughs) listeners. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And so just a heads up, Austin's that today, Allie and I are going to tackle some of the topics that really do speak mostly to the teenage experience. And so some of those topics may not be appropriate for any little ears that are listening along with you. So if you don't have your earbuds in, right now, maybe pop them in after we do our awesomes of the week here in just a minute. But again, Allie, I am just absolutely obsessed with this concept for your podcast, because golly, has young adult reading those books, the authors who are writing them, that shaped me in so many ways. And it's obviously such a universal experience. And you have really built your podcast around that. So I'm super excited for our conversation about this today. Yeah, I think what's really interesting about our childhood reading is that even people who don't necessarily consider themselves readers as adults still have these touchstone books that they came to as kids. And so I think even people who don't necessarily find themselves spending their free time reading now as grownups still like find something familiar in my show because everybody remembers the Babysitter's Club or Nancy Drew or To Kill a Mockingbird from when they read it in high school. Like these are books that were a part of so many of our childhoods and adolescences. And so I think that that's been a really cool realization for me. I'm a book lover and it's my favorite thing in the world to read books, but realizing that even the adults I see around me who don't necessarily identify as readers now share those experiences with me, it's pretty cool. 
I love it. I love it. So you guys, we're going to be talking about more with Allie about where you can find her podcast and all the things that she's doing with the work she's got going on with the SSR podcast. We'll talk about that later in the show, but I am so excited for our conversation today. But first, let's go ahead and let's just start the show the way we always do with our awesomes of the week. This is the moment in the show where we stop and talk about whatever is making life just a little bit more awesome right now, whether it is a book or a TV show, maybe some music or a podcast, a product, whatever is bringing a little light and happiness and joy to life is what we talk about in Awesomes of the Week. Allie, you were telling me before we started recording that you've brought a book and I am so delighted because this is a book I have been meaning to get to for several weeks now. So why don't you go ahead and tell us what your Awesome of the Week is? Yeah, I had to stay on brand with my Awesome of the Week, which means I had to come prepared with a book. I mean, (laughs) I'm loving a lot of TV right now, but I couldn't come on and not talk about a book. So I'm recommending a book called <laughs> Self-Care by Lee Stein. And I read it in two sittings one day earlier this summer. And it was sort of funny because I was sitting around with my close family and I guess sort of ignoring them because I just read this book all day and I finished it and I closed it. And I was like, this is the most fun I have had all summer. Like reading this book in a single day in a handful of sittings was truly the best time I've had in such a long time. And granted, it has been a very weird summer for all of us. (laughs) But it just brought me such joy. It's short enough that you can read it in a handful of sittings, even if you do have human children competing for your attention. But it's really this book that kind of plays on the self-care and wellness and Instagram influencer industry that we all are sort of party to, whether we like it or not these days. There's characters that are really into it. There's characters that are promoting it. There's characters that are looking around and saying, what the heck is going on? And I just really appreciate it. It's also an interesting commentary on female friendships, especially workplace friendships. Who can you trust? Who can you not trust? And I just had a lot of fun with it. It was like the perfect blend of parody. So a little bit of like a little side eye at the self-care wellness industry, but also just being like a really good, well-written, smart book. That sounds fantastic. You are not the first reader whom I have heard say, like, I read this almost entirely in one sitting. It was so good and so engaging. I could not put it down, which is why it's been on my list. And I keep thinking I'm going to get to that. So you have totally sold me on it. I'm going to move it all the way up to the top of my to be read list for sure. Good. I have to know what you think about it when you read it. Definitely, definitely. Okay, well, Austin's this week I brought for you a playlist on Spotify. This was actually created by one of our very own Awesomes from our community. Her name is Shell, and she's basically the reigning queen of making amazing playlists for us. And this is one that she made a couple of years ago. The playlist is called Favorite Time of Light. And Shell created this as an indie folk playlist to listen to in the fading light of a summer evening. Allie, I'm wondering if where you are right now, if you have begun to transition to fall or if it still feels pretty summer-like up there. Oh, it is perfect fall here and it has changed everything. Like this fall weather has been, I thought I needed summer earlier. Like I thought I was ready for the spring to summer transition, but I had no idea how much I needed the summer fall transition. It's magical. I am so encouraged to hear that because we are like living in this in-between space here in Oklahoma City where it still feels pretty summer-like during the day, but in the mornings and in the evenings, 
we're starting to get those sort of like cool breezes and cool temperatures like fall is just around the corner. So I am loving this playlist that Shell created because it is really filled with all kinds of just very chill music that you can put on. I mean, you could put it on at the end of the day or any time during the day when you just want to mellow out. It has like 43 songs on it. So it's going to keep you busy for a while. It has songs from like the Oh Hellos and the Civil Wars are on here, Little Giant, others that you may have heard of that just really have that indie folk vibe that is perfect for chilling out. And it is just so, so, so lovely. So anyway, I'll leave a link in the show notes if you guys also want to go and check out Favorite Time of Light that is a playlist on Spotify. Perfect for chilling out. In fact, I will put links to Allie's Awesome of the Week and mine in the show notes for you guys to go check out whenever you want to. So Allie, I'm so excited to pick up this book. Maybe I'll put on a little mood music with this playlist too while I'm reading. That sounds lovely. I want to listen to it too. Maybe we could have like a remote reading playlist synced up girls night or something. Yeah, there you go. Totally, totally. Well, Awesomes, we love to hear what is awesome in your life every week as well. We do that every week over on Instagram. If you haven't joined us over there, we would love to have you. We are at Sorta Awesome Show on Instagram. And of course, every Friday morning, we share our Awesomes of the Week in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. Our Hangout group has over 5,000 women, and we are absolutely dedicated and devoted to encouraging each other, supporting each other giving recommendations, giving advice, all with the positive spirit that Sorta Awesome brings to your life. So if you haven't joined us on Facebook, we'd love to have you there at facebook.com slash groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. Allie and I have a lot of books and reading talk to cover here in just a few minutes after this word from our sponsors. Awesomes, if you are anything like me, you might just feel like you are living in the center of a stress vortex right now. I know I carry so much stress right between my shoulders, which means I have been feeling like I have just a constant ache and tension just sitting there all the time until I got out our now very much beloved Theragun. Yep, I'm going to rave about the Theragun again. This is the handheld percussive therapy device that is making a huge impact on my quality of life. Seriously, over the past few months, both Kyle and I have fallen hugely in love with our Theragun. This thing is a rare combination of science and I'm guessing magic because it really does work to release your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And now it's all as quiet as an electric toothbrush. That's because the all new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor that's so quiet, you're going to wonder if it's even on while you soothe your aching muscles with Theragun's signature power, amplitude, and effectiveness. So if you are drowning in the craziness and chaos of life right now, or if you're dealing with pain from old injuries, or honestly, if you're just missing going to your favorite massage therapist, you have got to check out Theragun. In fact, right now, you can try Theragun risk-free for 30 days. There is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power that you need. Starting at only $199, you can go to theragun.com awesome right now 
and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash awesome, theragun.com slash awesome. Okay, Allie, so today we are going to be talking about young adult literature, YA books, and how they really spoke into and formed our understandings of the world when we were teenagers, really, you know, like sort of like upper elementary, middle school, high school years. I'm super curious, as all the awesomes know, I'm on into my 40s now. I'm 43. How old are you? I'm just trying to place the context of what kind of books you would have been reading in your teen years. Well, I am now officially in the final two weeks of my 20s. My 30th birthday will be, well, I guess this episode is coming out September 25th. So I will have just celebrated the big 3-0. So yeah, that's where I come at this from. I love that. Well, happy early birthday. You are going to love your 30s. I promise they're a fantastic decade. Thank you. I'm ready for it. I think I've always been 30. That's what I keep telling everybody. Like, I think I was born to be in my 30s. (laughs) So I just, I'm like fully coming into myself with this birthday. Yes, I get that so much. When I turned 30, I wasn't even sad. I was super excited. Now 40 brought a few more feelings for me, but that's okay (laughs) because honestly, the 40s have been really fantastic too. So I am of the opinion that it just keeps getting better. So really happy early birthday. I hope that you have a great celebration. That's so fun. Thank you. Well, um, I was looking up because I knew I wanted to talk about how YA books kind of, in a lot of ways, served as a surrogate information source for me and for lots of my friends. It's so interesting to think back on because as I think about my teen years and, and that sort of time frame when you're beginning to understand bodies and puberty and like how your body works and how relationships work, how does kissing work and, you know, all of these different things that you're experiencing, all these changes. I'm thinking back on my own childhood and going into teen years. And I remember my mom sitting down with me and having the talk about sex one time and it was just about the mechanics of intercourse uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> that was it she just washed her hands and it was away. a yeah <laughs> yes exactly she like checked that off the parenting to-do list also yep. I was the oldest of four and I think for at least for my sisters she just kind of was like well you know, you just tell the sisters along the way. I don't think she had the talk with my younger sisters. It was just me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the oldest too. And we're the guinea pigs for everything. It's hard to be the oldest. I understand. It totally is hard to be the oldest. And it was just such a different time because the talk has become for me and my daughters. I have two teen daughters now. It's an ongoing conversation. And we talk about especially body stuff right now. Like there's a lot of open back and forth, just talking about it, just make it totally normal. This is reality of what it's like to be a woman. And it's just such a difference because when I was in this phase of life, we didn't talk to our moms about these types of things, but we were definitely talking to each other. And even more than that, we were opening up books. And there was one woman who was on the pioneer, like she was the pioneer of YA literature in terms of being honest with her readers about all of these issues. And that, of course, is Judy Bloom, uh, The queen of SSR. She is like my unofficial mascot. You know, she's like the patron saint of SSR. 
I love her. I love coming back to her books. We've covered a lot of them on the show. It's been a lot of fun to come back to her books in the last year or so. Yes, totally, totally. So a few years back, writer Emma Olton wrote a piece for Bessel that began with this paragraph. If you grew up anytime between 1969 and today, chances are you learned everything you know about sex from Judy Bloom. When the crappy sex education system failed you, when your parents were bashful, when classmates were passing around terrifying rumors, there was only one place you felt safe, and that place was nose deep in a Judy Bloom novel. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I read that paragraph and I was like, yes. Yeah, that sounds about that right. It's the absolute truth of my life. Totally, totally. So definitely the Judy Bloom books that I remember as I'm thinking back on these years when really it was so awkward and embarrassing to ask anybody like, what does this mean? What's happening to my body? What does it mean to have a boyfriend? What does having sex mean? Like not just the mechanics of it, but what does it mean for a relationship? I feel like Judy Bloom was the one person who was like, all right, gather around kids because I'm about to tell you. <laughs> Yeah, get a hot chocolate, put on your pajamas. Let's just kind of like drop the act and I'll tell you, I'll tell you what you have to know. Exactly, exactly. So thank goodness for Judy Bloom. Of course, the huge book that most everybody has read, I'm thinking most every woman has read or at least understands the basic concepts behind is Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. Mm -hmm. I can remember reading this like a couple of years before I got my first period and definitely before I needed a bra. And I remember just like, I mean, talk about a page turner, just absolutely devouring it and then going back and reading it again and again and again, because she talked about things in Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, that I didn't even know were a thing. Like I didn't even know what to ask about. And yeah, the era in which she wrote was so funny in the sense that, of course, this was during a time, and I did have to ask my mom about this, when instead of what we might have today for our feminine <laughs> products, they had mm -hmm. the pads with the belts. Yes. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I forgot about that. And then when I came back to it for the show in the last year, I was like, I forgot that this was even a thing. And when I read the book, I was yes. very shy about all of this. I was also a few years out from having my first period, I was a late bloomer. And I think I just was like, Oh, yeah, that's probably what it is. And then I closed the book and forgot about it. But reading it as an adult, it was so funny, because it was like this artifact of another time. And I don't mean that to be insulting to anybody who experienced that. But all these years later, it is no. fascinating, like how much has yeah. changed. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I remember specifically asking my mom because you know, I mean, I had seen enough product in our bathrooms at home and I could figure out like, there's no belt situation going right. on. So I do remember specifically asking my mom, like, what is this book talking about? And she just laughed and laughed and was like, you girls today don't know how good you have it. Right. You're like, you did I forget my belt? Did I not buckle the belt? Is something going to happen because I don't have the belt on? <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Truly, truly. I mean, and even that was like, I'm sure an innovation based on previous examples from products. So, oh my gosh. But that was such a great book in the sense that in Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. You are talking about body stuff. Like, I must increase my best, <laughs> which was the, 
you know, sort of chant that Margaret and her friends were trying out to see if they could increase their busts. I think I probably gave it a try to see what would happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think what was really cool about that book and what makes it so timeless is that it really, it sort of helps young girls know the kinds of questions that they might want to ask. That's how I read it when I was a kid. And that's how I felt about it when I came back to it again as an adult. I think that sometimes when you are young and all of these things seem really scary and adult and you don't know what's going to happen to your body, it's overwhelming to even know where to start having these questions or having these conversations with your parents. Because it's great if your mom or even your dad is open to the conversations, but what do you even ask them? You know, I think it's great to be a cool parent and to leave that conversation open. And I commend you. It sounds like you're doing that in your family. But I think a book like Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret is sort of nice like intro material for kids to read. And I think it would be great if someday more boys were reading it as well, because we all need to have an understanding of what's happening in each other's bodies. And I think that fosters some empathy. But I think just having this as intro materials that you have a couple of nuggets of information that might sort of pave the way for an easier Q&A with your parents. I think that's one of the most important things about it. And then you can come back to it once you have a better understanding and maybe some of your own experience. And then maybe you'll be able to take some more like actionable items away from it. Absolutely. That is so, so true. And it reminds me that the second book I wanted to mention from Judy Bloom is actually one of her books where the protagonist is not a young woman going through these things, but instead it's a young man, a teenage boy. And that book is, then again, maybe I won't. Do you remember this one? I think I read it, but I have not revisited it for the podcast. So you'll have to jog my memory. Well, it's a really great book. It's the protagonist is named Tony and his family comes into some wealth. They move to a new, fancy, wealthy neighborhood. And so in that sense, Judy Bloom really does a great job of digging into the idea of like sort of family dynamics. And I think that's another really remarkable thing about Judy Bloom books is when I say she was a pioneer, this was a time when she was writing in terms of young adult material, nobody was really doing a lot of family realism. Now, I feel like that's far more common today in young adult books. It's like almost just a given that there's going to be realistic portrayals of family dynamics and family drama and dysfunctional families and healthy families and all across the spectrum. But at the time, it was really notable that she really would frame her stories in the context of just like realistic, this is the kinds of things, these are the kinds of things that happen in families. And so in Then Again, Maybe I Won't, again, Tony, his family has recently become wealthy and his mother really, really, really wants to be in with the hoity-toity crowd. And so you've got that going on on the one hand, but the reason that this book really stood out to me was this was the first time I, as a young woman, had an introduction to what boys were going through in puberty. And so she writes and talks really frankly about, yeah. So there's like really frank discussions about like erections and wet dreams and all of these things that again, like my mother did not really super cover in the talk. Right. (laughs) Right. She was like, this is what pertains to you and we'll cover that. And then if you have other questions, come back to me, but we'll stop there. Yes, exactly. That was pretty much how it went down. And of course, when she was talking to me about this, this was all in the context of like, when you grow up, when you're a grown up, when you're an adult, 
And so I genuinely had no idea what boys my age were going through. And so here's this book, this Judy Bloom book that is, you know, really, again, focuses in on a protagonist who is a teenage boy. And as a reader, I'm getting introduced to the idea of like what a wet dream is and how boys are embarrassed by getting an erection when they're at school or, you know, out in public and those types of things. And I can remember just, and it wasn't even, she doesn't do it in a salacious way or scandalizing way. She just like, it's just out there. This is just realistic. This is just what happens. And I remember just being like, this is an enlightenment to see that they're not the only ones who are feeling so awkward and so embarrassed and so confused and so, you know, just having all of the feelings about what's happening to their bodies. And so, yeah, that was one that really stood out to me as I was thinking about the Judy Bloom books that had a huge impact on me. That sounds great. I'm going to add that to our SSR list. You officially convinced me, but it sounds like it sort of levels the playing field for kids, which I think is really important. Being a tween or a preteen or a teen, it's also complicated. Puberty is hard. Some people, I think, come into it with more excitement. I personally was not at all excited. I was very scared for some reason and just sort of uncomfortable with the whole thing. And I think part of it is because it's hard to understand that maybe other people are going through the same thing. And sure, you can talk to your friends and and you know that your closest friends might have similar concerns or you might know what they're going through. But I think at least in the time when I was growing up in the 90s, I think that boys felt like so mysterious. And now I do think there are some changes with the ways that we're talking about gender and identity. And so I do think that maybe there's hopefully a different level of like fluidity and openness with the way that kids are talking to each other. But when I was this age, I would have been completely like mind blown that boys in my class who I was probably afraid of were going through sort of equally monumental changes in their bodies. And it it probably would have made me feel a little bit less self-conscious and a little bit less nervous about what was going to happen to me. And and I do think that this is what Judy Bloom does so well. I don't know if you read Forever when you were a teen, but in the same way that you're talking about, yes, her like talking about these puberty milestones for boys in a very matter of fact way, that's sort of how I interpreted the way she talks about sex in Forever. I felt like, well, first of all, I didn't read Forever when I was a teen. I don't even think it was ever offered to me. I went to a pretty conservative high school, grew up in a fairly conservative area and it just never came up. (laughs) The Judy Bloom sex book, it never came up. And so I was excited to talk about it on the podcast (laughs) because I'd always heard about it. And my takeaway from Forever is that it's this book where Judy Bloom lays out like not only what sex is, as you mentioned, there's of course the mechanics, which is a whole thing to figure out, but also like what does sex look like as part of a healthy, safe, consensual relationship, what does having safe sex look like? Like what options do you have in this case as a young teenage girl to like ensure that you can be safe and happy and comfortable and loved in the relationship and in the sexual relationship? It felt like there was very little judgment in the book. And I think that like even the most open, loving parents, I would imagine it's hard to come at these conversations without a little bit of judgment just because these are your kids and you want to protect them. And maybe you have experiences of your own that you're kind of bringing into the conversation. So I really love that forever withheld pretty much any judgment. And she was like, basically, here are your options. Like, this is what it looks like to have sex. This is what it looks like to have sex and be in a relationship. And spoiler alert, this is what it looks like to have sex with somebody and then to have it not work out in the relationship. And that's okay. 
And this is how you might feel. And this is how you might handle it. So I really loved forever. I could talk about forever forever. And I just, I really, (laughs) it says a lot of interesting things about all of these different levels of sexual experiences. I absolutely agree. And another, I love forever too. I do remember reading, I did read it as a teen and on like a personal level was a little scandalized because it was, I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma. So for sure, it was like my first introduction to reading, you know, like a teenager and experiencing sex. And I remember, I don't think I even told any of my friends. This was not when I like passed around, like you guys have got to read this. I remember being like, oh my gosh, if anybody knew I was reading this. (laughs) But one thing that she does cover in Forever that was really controversial and she got pushback from her own readers on, she has talked about this in later interviews, is the fact that Catherine has orgasms. And Mm -hmm. so she sort of like puts it out there and then readers were irritated, annoyed or, you know, whatever, because they're like, that's not realistic. And so I feel like that Judy Bloom was writing it into as young girls as they're forming these ideas about what sex is. And like you said, especially in the context of a healthy relationship to sort of normalize the concept that, yeah, women do experience pleasure from sex and this is what it can look like for women and even for young women. And so I thought that was extremely groundbreaking in forever as well. Yeah. And I think there's probably an argument to be made and I'm not a sexologist, but I'm sure there's an argument to be made that it's unrealistic because I don't think that, and I have read this out, this is real. I don't think that we as a culture, as a society have normalized female pleasure. I think that's a very new thing, maybe not even a thing yet. And so Maybe the reason that scenes like that don't feel realistic to adults who are critical of them is because they weren't raised to believe that as women, they were entitled to that. And so that was not something that they got comfortable with. And so maybe there's a little bit of a chicken egg situation here where when scenes like this are written into books, then young people can get more comfortable with these ideas. Maybe they'll feel differently about the way that they pursue intimate experiences of their own. And then maybe it will be more realistic. And so, yeah, I mean, there's so much about this book that I know she got pushed back on. Catherine goes to Planned Parenthood by herself to get birth control, which was super groundbreaking at the time. And I'm sure very upsetting to a lot of people. I personally think that it's really amazing to see a young woman sort of embrace her own agency and her own power in her relationship. And to do that, to make sure that she could be safe and that she could sort of be aware of the choices that she was making. I know that she got a lot of pushback about the fact that these characters don't end up together at the end, but I actually think that that's really important and sort of sets this example for teens that like, you're probably going to think that your first relationship is like the one and that you're going to be with them forever. And they might not be, but that doesn't mean that you can't safely and lovingly like explore your relationship in the meantime. So I think there are all these little touches and big touches. Like there's a little bit of everything in that book. But if you really pay attention to some of the nuances of the relationship between the two main characters, you see that she's really like, I don't know, just laying out all of these key touch points, I think, to help kids and teens wrap their head around how sex might play a part safely in their lives. Yeah. Yes, I really do agree. It is definitely a book. I haven't read it since I was a teenager. So now I'm like, maybe I need to go back and reread it. I don't even remember some of the... the oh, uh, Yeah, 
I it's been a minute since I read it for sure. So I do need to do a revisit with that one. So I've talked about some of the ways, especially Judy Bloom. I mean, there were others, but these are like the standouts to me that really helped form my understanding of what was happening to me and happening to my friends and to relationships. I would love to hear though from you, what were some of those formative books from your growing up years? What are the ones that were standouts for you? Again, if you're a prolific reader, I'm sure there's like tons, but what are some of the ones that sort of rise to the top? I know I was reflecting on this and part of the problem with doing an episode of this podcast every week is that sometimes I just feel like whatever book I've revisited most recently is the one that must have made the biggest impact on me 25 years ago when I was a kid too, which I'm sure was not the case. But a few do come to mind. I think the Babysitter's Club in all of its sort of like fun bubblegum, now Netflix-ified fun is also a really fascinating sort of primer in female friendship. And coming back to it as an adult has given me an appreciation for the groundwork that it lays for readers in being an entrepreneur and in creating something for yourself. And I definitely didn't pick up on that as a kid. But when I I've now gone back and read and read probably four or five of them for the podcast. And it's amazing to me how in each one, you have these 11, 12, 13 year old girls really taking situations into their own hands, they're making their own money, they're figuring out how to work together, how to lead each other, how to work and play and live with friends, which is a challenge. It's really hard to work with a friend. They're learning how to work out their interpersonal issues. And they also each have their own personal things going on at home. We have one character whose parents have gone through a divorce. We have one character who has lost a parent. We have some characters that are sort of very gently exploring dating. So I think that those books were much more than I maybe gave them credit for when I was a kid because I just thought they were fun. But I would imagine that as a kid who I had a few close friends, but I was not a Christy Thomas. I did not have enough friends to build a club. I think that Mm -hmm. in sort of waiting for those friendships to come into my life, it was probably really encouraging for me to read about these girls that were not only loving each other and having fun together, but were also building something important as a group. So that I think perhaps impacted me more than I realized. Yes, definitely. I loved the Babysitter's Club. Those books started coming out when I was late elementary. And I remember my aunt giving me as a birthday gift, like the set that was like the first five of them. And I absolutely just tore through them. I could not get enough. And I'm totally shaking my head. I mean, nodding my head in agreement with you right now as I'm listening to you, because I do think that what Anna and Martin did in terms of showcasing girls and friendships in such a fascinating way in the sense that the girls, they would get in fights with each other. They would get annoyed. They would hurt each other's feelings or get their feelings hurt. And she would show how these relationships in the friendship dynamic really played out over time. And that sometimes you're mad at your friend, but that doesn't have to mean like the friendship's over. It just means you're just not happy with her right now. And then it's an opportunity that you can talk things through. And I think that Golly, talk about another pioneer of YA literature. I really think that she was doing some really super fascinating work with that series. And yet it was so entirely readable that I'm just like, when I was reading them, I wasn't thinking about them in a meta way. Of course, I was just like, I loved the characters. I knew I wanted to dress like Claudia, but I would never have the courage. (laughs) Right. And we all were a little bit Marianne in our hearts, even though we wanted to be Claudia or Dawn. 
we all were kind of Claudia's at heart. (laughs) Yes, for sure. For sure. So yes, I'm super, super agreeing with you. Um, Any others that come to mind? Yeah, you know, recently we did another Gossip Girl episode on the podcast. So we've now covered the first two books in the series on the show. And I'm not proud to say this, but I do think that Gossip Girl probably influenced me a little bit. Not in that I was going out and going to clubs in New York City or dating older men when I was in high school. I definitely was not in like a glamorous group the way that these kids were. But I do think that in the same way that Judy Bloom was setting the stage for a lot of kids about sex in the 70s and 80s, I think that Cecily von Zygasar, the author of Gossip Girl, came in and did something similar for kids in the aughts. I don't think that we can really compare their approaches because while Judy Bloom is very matter of fact, a lot more realistic, Cecily von Zygasar is like putting these teen girls in lingerie and heels and putting all of this pressure on their early sexual experiences when I think Judy Bloom is much more like, okay, I know this is important to you, but like, let's not get our hopes up here. It might be scary, might hurt, and then it will be fine and we'll move on. There's none of that in Gossip Girl. And as a kid who, as I said, was a fairly late bloomer, not only with puberty, but also in terms of relationships, I think that it sort of, it may be painted like a different kind of picture of what relationships would look like. You can't really compare what it's like for two teenagers who are rich and wealthy and fancy in New York City to date to what it might have looked like for me in the suburbs of Pennsylvania to date when I was in high school. So I do think that it's sort of an interesting comparison, the way that sex is portrayed by those two authors several decades apart. That is fascinating. I loved the show Gossip Girl. I actually didn't even watch it when I was younger. I watched it fully as an adult on Netflix. But I found it to be fascinating as a show. I didn't even realize, though, that it was based on novels. So that is so interesting. I think I'm going to have to go and check those out now. So the show is better. And I rarely say that a show is better. But having now read two of the books again, I feel confident in saying that I prefer the show. It's so watchable. And I read Gossip Girl probably when I was like younger than, I don't want to say that I was younger than I should have been, but knowing the kind of kid that I was, I think I probably was very Mm -hmm. overwhelmed by Gossip Girl. There's drinking and partying and sex and like all of these things that were totally off my radar. But I guess if you're looking at it as a window into what it could be like to be a teen, it sort of set up a certain set of expectations for me. Yeah, that is so, so, so interesting. And just one of those like, these books were like so on a spectrum of presenting these topics in different ways. And I think that, you know, it sounds like you were really well-rounded in terms of like a little bit of the more innocent or the more realistic and then a little bit more racy, but it gave you that sort of early introduction of like, oh my goodness, like, oh, yeah, what is even going on here? (laughs) I read everything. And in researching for some of my Gossip Girl episodes, I found some think pieces by people who were talking about you know, there's all these arguments against books like Gossip Girl. Of course, those books have been challenged, much like the Judy Bloom books, and they've been removed from many libraries. And a lot of these essays and these think pieces are talking about the fact that like, sort of telling kids that they can't read these books, it's equivalent to making fun of adult women for reading what we call chiclet or romance novels. You know, there's, of mm-hmm. course, the spectrum of romance novels to what we call chiclet, which is basically just contemporary fiction written by women for women. And there's a whole debate in the publishing industry about how we need to 
sort of get rid of that designation because it is a little bit condescending toward the authors of those books. And so there's a lot out there if you're interested in kind of exploring that further about how, yes, while there's certainly objectionable material in a series like Gossip Girl, it does broaden the spectrum for kids who are either reluctant readers or just want to experience different kinds of characters. And I think that I'm a proponent of keeping all books out there for kids to read as long as adults are willing to have conversations about them. And I do think it's interesting to think about how a book like Gossip Girl might correspond to a romance novel for an adult. I absolutely, absolutely agree. As a former English teacher, you know, any book that gets kids reading and excited about reading and where they can't wait to open a book, I am all for it. So I absolutely agree on that. So we've talked about some of the books that were really formative for us. I want to talk about trends in YA today. I do like to dabble in YA still. It's one of my favorite genres, but Ali, I feel like you have a much better idea of what's going on in YA today. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to let you tell us everything we need to know about how YA, in a sense, is still serving this purpose for kids and teens today. We'll be back in just a minute. Okay, Awesomes, you know, life is full of tough choices, especially these days. It feels like all we do is make tough choices and decisions, but your beauty routine, what you put on your body every day should not be one of those tough choices. You know, given what's going on in the world, why not focus on your skin and health? True Botanicals products can be calming during these stressful times and they're delivered straight to your door. They're filled with natural and organic ingredients and True Botanical skin and body products deliver results without toxins so you can feel good while you're working from home. True Botanicals uses the latest scientific advances and centuries-old botanical extracts to create all natural formulas in their products. Every True Botanicals formula is made safe certified. It's made without over 5,000 of known toxic ingredients, but unlike most non-toxic products, True Botanical Solutions actually work to repair skin issues. That's because they worked with researchers at leading universities to identify nourishing botanical extracts that are rich in antioxidants, vitamins, essential fatty acids to develop potent formulas that work better than leading beauty brands. You've just got to try True Botanicals for yourself. Get 15% off of your first purchase at truebotanicals.com awesome. Get 15% off your first purchase at truebotanicals.com slash awesome, truebotanicals.com slash awesome. Okay, awesomes, if you love music, you'll love streaming it with Amazon Music. Out of all the amazing stuff that Amazon offers, this is one of my favorite things. After using Amazon Music for a while, here's why I love it. Amazon Music has millions of songs and over a million podcast episodes streaming for free. You can follow podcasts you love, including Sorta Awesome, and download them to listen offline, or you can just ask Alexa to start listening. With free streaming music from Amazon Music, you get thousands of stations and top playlists all at no charge. And when you subscribe to Amazon Music Unlimited, like I do, you get even more unlimited access to 60 million songs on demand and always ad 
free. So you can play the songs you want when you want them. Our Alexa lives in our kitchen. And in the mornings, I have been loving turning on the mellow 80s gold playlist on Amazon Music Unlimited. It is so fun to hear songs from my childhood like Karma Chameleon, Betty Davis Eyes, and Eternal Flame while I'm getting breakfast ready every single morning. I know you awesomes are going to love Amazon Music Unlimited too. So right now, new subscribers can try Amazon Music Unlimited free for 30 days. Go to amazon.com slash sorta awesome. That's amazon.com slash sorta awesome to try Amazon Music Unlimited for 30 days. Amazon.com slash sorta awesome. Renews automatically, cancel anytime, offer ends September 26th, and terms apply. Okay, like I said before the break, I really want to hear from you, Allie, about trends in young adult literature today. We've been talking about how formative these books were for us, these authors who are doing such important work. I mean, in the age of the internet, when there actually is so much information, like it or not, that is available to kids today on the internet, you know, are kids still turning to books to learn more about the world? And how is YA Today really expanding on, you know, we talked about sex and body issues. Now there's all kinds of topics like sexual orientation and race relations mental health issues, religious and cultural differences, all kinds of stuff that I feel like we barely scratched the surface of when we were growing up. Tell me everything we need to know about YA today. Well, I would be curious as since you're the mom of teenagers, I would be curious how you think it plays out in your house. Because as I said, you know, I have a a dog child, but he's not really up on, (laughs) on what's going on and where to get the good info. But my sense is that and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but my sense is that when we were growing up, I do feel like to some extent, almost everyone was a reader. I mean, maybe they weren't reading all the time, but I do think that there weren't as many modes of entertainment in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and even in the early aughts. And so I think that it was almost a default where, yes, you might watch primetime TV for a few hours with your parents before bedtime, but after that, you went to your room, you didn't have a tablet, you probably didn't have a TV in your room, you didn't have a phone where you could watch TikTok or Instagram stories. And so you probably had a book. I just think that it was a little bit more quote unquote normal for all kids to be engaging with reading at some level. And I do think that now the media landscape is so much more complicated and fragmented that there are just a lot of different kinds of ways for different kids who are interested in different things to entertain themselves. So my sense and sort of my unfortunate theory, as far as I'm concerned, because I want all kids to grow up with a love of reading the way I did, is that kids are not necessarily learning about these things exclusively from books anymore. There's a lot of other ways for them to, A, entertain themselves, and B, kind of get a quick answer to the questions that they are looking for the info on. We didn't have the luxury to Google things about sex or puberty or relationships. And honestly, that's a much faster way to get to the heart of these matters than to hope that you find the right Judy Bloom book in the library. So Mm -hmm. I would imagine that it's not quite as much of a one-stop shop as it once was for kids. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. You know, my girls, they are good readers. And once they find a book that captures their attention, they absolutely will put everything else to the side and just you know, read through a book, which I love to see, and it is so delightful to me. But you are so right in that a lot of the things, the ideas, the beliefs that are forming, you know, how they view the world, 
really is coming from things like TikTok and YouTube videos. And it's not as much for sure about reading as it used to be. That's not to say they never read, but I see media playing such a stronger role than books are almost like the icing on the entertainment cake, but it's not the cake of entertainment for them for sure. Yeah. And my sense is that, you know, from observing the teens from afar, as I do, my sense is that you're sort of either a book kid or you're not a book kid. And if you're a book kid, you are probably the kind of kid that's also watching book vloggers and you're reading book blogs and maybe you're going to book signings and you're following bookstagrammers online. I mean, there is this really cool culture that I'm now so thrilled to be part of, of people who are talking about books on social media. And if you are a kid who loves to read, you can have so much information at your fingertips about when new books are coming out. You can have one-on-one remote experiences with your favorite authors. You can watch them live doing q and A. So I do think that it's almost like a polarizing situation in which if you are a kid who likes books, you can really like books and that can become part of your identity in a way that was never possible before technology has developed the way that it has. Or you're a kid that maybe reads when you're assigned books in school and that's it. I don't know that there's necessarily as much of an in-between as there once was. Yep. I would say that is a hundred percent accurate from all that I've observed with my kids and with their friends. That is very spot on. Yes. I try to keep my finger on the pulse of what's trendy. Yes, definitely. So what are some of the standout books and authors that you're seeing today that are kind of tackling, maybe pushing the limits a little bit or just tackling some of these age old universal issues that kids still want to hear more about, even if they are, you know, turning to it in the pages of a book? Yeah, I think what's especially notable right now, and I'll call out that this November, we are doing our third New Reads November series because every year I spend so much time reading these quote unquote throwback books that I don't necessarily get to keep up with all of the new YA coming out. So every year since the podcast launched in November, I've dedicated all four weeks to discussing standout YA books published within the last year or so. And I really try to look for books that have, yes, been popular, but also sort of address issues that maybe weren't addressed in the other books that we've read from years gone by. So that's sort of a nice way to keep a sense of how things have been changing in the industry. And it also gives me a good excuse to read sort of the big name books from more recent days. I think what's really notable about YA right now as we're talking is the proliferation of own voices YA books. And that's really important. For those who don't know, own voices books are the books that are written by authors of color or who are from certain cultures telling actual stories of their own experiences. Because for so long, the unfortunate trend in publishing was more often than not for white men to be telling stories about indigenous girls or black girls or boys growing up in the projects. And those don't actually reflect the experiences of these people and of these kids. And so there's this really wonderful and important movement happening right now toward own voices reads. And so a lot of what I'm seeing right now from where I sit, getting ready to head into New Reads November, where we are going to be focusing on primarily own voices books, is BIPOC authors who are sharing stories about kids that don't necessarily look like all of the readers who might be picking these books up. I think that's really important for kids to read these other narratives. There is such a need for diversity in publishing and in all things, but I do think that if we can start with publishing and if we can start with 
demonstrating more representation in the books that we're putting in front of our kids and teens. That's really important. As somebody who grew up in a very white town, I wish that I'd had access to more books by authors of color, authors who didn't look like me so that I could have learned more about what it would be like to be a kid living somewhere else. One book that I'll call out from a few years ago, if you haven't read it, you should absolutely read it. It's called The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Super important right now about a girl who experiences the loss of a friend who is killed by a police officer and sort of how she interacts with the Black Lives Matter movement, what she learns from going through this experience. And I know this is a complicated, sensitive issue, but I think it's a really nice starting point if you are trying to figure out how you feel about it to read a book directed at teens. We can all learn from a YA book. And Angie Thomas is just wonderful. So that's one place to start. I think there's also a lot of interesting narratives coming out now about the immigrant experience. A book I read for New Reads November last year is called Frankly in Love. And it's about a boy named Frank. He's a teenager. His parents are Korean immigrants. And it's sort of about how he's figuring out how to straddle the line between the expectations they have for him as a Korean boy with their really high standards that he live up to a certain way of being an American kid. And it's sort of about him figuring out how much he wants to sort of live in their old world versus make his way in a new world. And these just were not stories that we were hearing about or reading when we were kids. I read a book a few years ago for New Reads November called We Are Okay. And it talks about a girl who is clearly in the thick of some mental health issues and sort of how she navigates that, how she gets support, how she goes through the trauma she's experienced after the loss of a loved one. Definitely, we're seeing more queer love stories. One that I read last year is called The Princess and the Fangirl. And it's a really kind of fun take on a fairy tale story that involves a queer character. And yeah, I just think if you really pay attention to the YA books that are coming out now, there's just such diversity, both in terms of who's writing them and who's featured in them. And just if you start with the characters and the authors themselves, like you know that there's just such a breadth of experiences that are being shared in these books. Love that. I am so excited to see where this movement is going. A couple of years ago, maybe it was 2016 or 2017, I can't remember now, we got to have Aisha Syed, middle grade young adult author, and she was speaking about the We Need Diverse Books movement, which she was part of kind of getting started, which started as like a Twitter hashtag and grew into a movement and to see how much that has grown into own voices and to all of these calls for better representation. It's very exciting to see what's happening. And I will tell you as a parent to two Gen Zers that they are looking for that. They can spot things that are not doing a great job with representation and other matters of diversity, they can spot it so fast, which is so encouraging. And so I love to hear that this is totally one of the biggest trends in YA right now. It's so exciting. Yeah, another book that I would call out that approaches a topic that I would never have thought that I would get to read about when I was a teen. The book is called They Wish They Were Us. And it's by actually my friend, her name is Jessica Goodman. And It's been all over the place this summer, but if you haven't read it, you should absolutely read it. Have you read it? I have. It was actually an awesome of the week for me very recently on the show because I did love it. And I'm so starstruck that you're friends with Jessica Goodman because I thought she did such a fun job with that story. Yes, we have a mutual best friend. And so I've been lucky enough to get to know her over the years. She's been on my show twice. She's wonderful. And I really loved the way that this book sort of subtly explores the dynamics of 
friendships for high schoolers. And having talked to Jess and learning more about her writing process, she really wanted to explore these kind of like power structures that exist in high schools. And more specifically, the way that in teenage social circles, more often than not, it feels like the boys have all the power. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I really struggled to put my finger on when I was a teenager. But when I reflect, as I had a lot of guy friends when I was a teenager, and when I read her book, I was like, oh my gosh, that's how it felt. It felt like they were in charge and we kind of did everything that they wanted to do. They set the tone. And I don't think they meant anything bad by it, but just sort of having the understanding of it, because I've read this book now, I think I'll be that much more aware of how I see different kinds of friendships going on if and when I someday have teenage children. Um, And it's just given me a lot of food for thought, even in the way that I analyze older books in seeing how those friendships are written. So even like sort of more subtle topics that are explored, like I think it's so important to talk about them. Yes, I totally agree. That was such a surprise to me when I read that book because I was just like, you know, I've heard it's like Gossip Girl, but there's a murder mystery, which I'm like, please sign me up for that immediately. And I did read it so fast. It was so great. But I was surprised by how much she really dug into that dynamic as a mom of teen girls that jumped off the page at me. And so, yeah, that part really landed. And I love that book. And it's been a fun summer read with some good surprises like that packed into it. So it was really great. Yes, highly recommend They Wish They Were Us. Totally, totally. Okay, well, Allie, this has been so good. I feel like we could just keep going and going, but I know you are so busy. I'm going to let you get back to all of the work that is ahead of you. But before I do that, please do tell us all of the things that we need to know about where to find you, where to find the SSR podcast, all of the social media, so we can go and listen to all of these good, nostalgic, adult-themed deep dives with you. Yes. So new episodes of SSR drop every Tuesday on all of your favorite podcatchers. We now have 111 episodes. So as you're finding us, there's a lot for you to explore. I'm sure there are a handful of books in our episode list that you will say like, oh my gosh, I remember that book. And then you're going to immediately have to listen to the episode and you will fall down the rabbit hole. So I'm just warning you ahead of time because I've heard that's (laughs) what happens to new followers of my podcast, but we would love to have you join the listener community. I'm pretty active on Instagram at SSRpod, the same handle on Twitter at SSRpod. You can find us on Facebook by searching the SSR podcast. And I'd love for you to just come say hey and let me know that you heard about the show from Sorta Awesome. And it'll just be great to get to know you better. Oh my goodness. Totally. You guys, you got to go check it out. I know that you will love it. So Allie, this has been so fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, awesome community, if you have any comments or questions or something that you want to discuss about this episode, or if you just want to participate in all of our awesome things, you know, you can join us at Facebook or on Instagram, on TikTok or YouTube. You can even get your daily dose from awesome today. So don't miss out on any of that. Again, I'm Meg Teets and this is Sorta Awesome. The Sorta Awesome Show is a production of Sorta Awesome Media, the company that is all about honest conversations and all of your favorites then and now. We'll see y'all next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.